Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, everyone. So excited to be here today, and we are happy, joyous, and free. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Never forget that every day when you wake up. Uh, we can reinvent ourselves, we can renew ourselves, we can transform ourselves, and uh, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about transformation, and we have a, a guest that is going to talk about how you can transform and how you can also transform your life and the world at the same time. Somebody said something to me yesterday that seemed like, uh, wow, it was a um, just a, a mind-blowing truth. And that truth was how you, how you relate to food is how you relate to yourself. In other words, how you relate to food is a metaphor for how you feel for yourself. How you relate to food is almost like um, a litmus test of your own self-esteem, your own core identity. When she said that, that was just mind-blowing to me because I think that's absolutely true. If you feel like you're junk, eat junk. If you feel like you are priceless and valuable, then you will cherish your body by eating uh, foods that are nourishing and pure. If you feel like you're pure, you want to include purity. You know, so if you want to pollute your body because you don't feel that that great about yourself, and I know I'm a 25-year sober person. I'm 25-year recovering alcoholic, okay? Uh, I know I didn't feel great about myself when I was polluting my body with alcohol, okay? Now I'm not polluting my body with junk. I'm really using this pandemic as a time for transformation. We've got an incredible guest here today who is going to talk about transformation personally as well as uh, systemically. And Laura Montoya Reese is with two organizations. I'll let her tell you all about those organizations and what she's doing as a superwoman to save the planet. Take it away. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm sorry, my lighting. Don't worry about it. Just talk. Here. I'm in a. Just, just, moved, just moved houses. Um, yeah, I'm co-founder, along with Connie Spence, of Agriculture Fairness Alliance, which is a 501c4 lobbying organization. So our intent is to lobby in D.C. primarily. And also Vegan Justice League, which you can think of as more of the think tank, where we research corruption in our food system. Um, Connie and I both... We didn't know each other. We came together for this specific mission. Um, we learned about each other because we were both kind of independently waking up to the fact that our, our choices in the marketplace, while we, in theory, in America, where you know it's free market and supply and demand and all that, although economics isn't ever that simple, but we're taught that we can vote with our dollars and that'll affect the, the supply chain. Um, she and I both at the same time started independently reading about uh, subsidies to animal ag in, um, interests. So like, especially to dairy um, and, and all the schemes they have rigged into the farm bill that guarantee that the big mega corporations get paid no matter how we vote with our dollars. So, you know, I was, when I realized this, I was, I mean, I was outraged. I hadn't really been vegan that long. Um, I only went vegan in 2017. Before that, I was completely unaware of even thinking about uh, whether we, we could not eat animals. Like, I, I fell into the Melanie Joy three ends. I thought it was natural, normal, and necessary. 
Uh, so I kind of woke up with that whole, um, with, you know, the, the movie actually that, that did it was Simon Amstel's Carnage, Swallowing the Past, which was a, a comedy. Um, so my whole family went vegan. And then we felt pretty good for a couple months. And then I realized, I'd say within a month, I was like, I need to get active. I need to tell people this because it's ridiculous that humans don't know that they can live on a plant-based diet, be healthier for it, and improve the planet, the 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 predicament we're in with the planet. We have so many people with this load of resources and animal ag just triples up, quadruples up the load. And if we all went vegan, it would solve a lot of problems. So I got active. I became an activist. You know, you do outreach, you, you join some organizations. And while I was doing that, that's when I started reading about subsidies. And I happened to have allergies one night and I went, I was on Reddit. I'm, I have a Reddit problem. <laughs> it comes and goes, um, <laughs> but it was like 2am I'm on Reddit and I see this AMA, which is uh, acronym for ask me anything. And it was with this lobbyist and he had started an organization called lobbyists for good. And I'm reading through the thread and he is just taking on so much hate lobbyists are the problem lobbyists should be outlawed what you're doing is terrible but meanwhile when i would read his responses it was all about helping everyday americans who had kind of progressive causes have a voice in dc through the lobbying route because political influence is for sale in america and you buy it through hiring lobbyists who have the connections, the Rolodex, if you will, for people older than maybe 35, don't know what that reference is. Um, and they, can, they know who to go talk to and make it happen and pull the levers. So you need money to hire lobbyists. So I started a campaign to um, help farmers transition because, so I, I contacted Billy, crowdfunded $5,000 to hire him flew to DC and we lobbied together for three weeks on the Hill. Um, and we came up with a pilot program, which was called at-risk farmer, uh, which actually Connie named it that she's got a, she's got a gift for uh, naming and kind of messaging. So it essentially is a legislation that would allocate money every year to pay either nonprofits like Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, not Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, um, Rancher Advocacy Program in Texas with Renee King Sonnen, or uh, farmers directly to help them transition from, say, pig farming to hazelnut production or dairying to a solar farm. Keeping independent farmers on their land transitioning them to lucrative businesses where they don't need handouts from the government and um, helping them thrive in a new plant-based world. And I personally believe that I want my government to provide, to say, grease the skids so that any willing farmer who sees the writing on the wall, like many of the farmers we're talking with and who we're working with, they see that the world is that veganism, in the world, word of Paul, the farmer we talked with the other day, he, he was talking about how vegans were seen as a joke before, and then he was talking about how seriously he takes them now and know it's, it's kind of the future. And so for the farmers who see that it's no longer a joke, that it's real, and that they can either play ball and move or they're going to keep suffering and needing handouts from the government, um, for those willing farmers, we want the government to give them a path they can walk down to transition and and transition to a business that makes sense for their land in particular. So we really want to pass this legislation. Um, and when I was lobbying, that's when I, I was put in touch with, when I was planning for lobbying, that's when I was put in touch with Connie and we just hit it off immediately. Like I thought I researched a lot, but holy cow, um, I know that's not vegan, but um, she she gets into so many details. I can't even believe it. And every whenever we talk, she always has new 
new insights for us to, to work on. It's just an absolute thrill well, to work with us. So together, we just said, well, we, we can't do this independently. Let's hook up and let's, let's create a proper lobbying organization, and that's AFA. So that's incredible. Now, the person you were inspired to create this lobbying group by watching, is he vegan? And if not, how was he able to carry the message? Um, and because sometimes some of the most effective people are people who are not on our side, who don't get it. Um, so you have, let's say, very powerful environmental lobbying groups that are completely in denial about the fact that the biggest problem we have when it comes to the environment is animal agriculture, not fossil fuels. That, it, that we're giving planet Earth a buzz cut to grow crops, not to feed humans, but to feed farm animals. So you, they can go in there and they can lobby for environmental changes and beat their chests all they want, but they're ignoring the main, the main issue. So with this gentleman, were you able to first convince him that your cause is the right cause so that he was armed with the proper facts and the passion to make that case? Yeah, so his name is Billy Delancey, and he's the founder of Lobbyists for Good. And when I first reached out to him, uh, I think he was happy to pick up the cause because he saw that it made sense, but he was by no means vegan at all. Um, and then over the course of about three months working closely together over the phone, planning our lobbying strategy and raising money, um, I don't remember intentionally doing vegan outreach on him, but I think just through going through the and bringing the environmental facts to him and also talking about my own story and asking him some questions about the ethics of it. Um, I remember he told me a story about when he was in the Peace Corps and it was kind of heartbreaking about like animal agriculture. I won't go into it. That's his story to tell. But by the time we started lobbying, he was like, don't tell anyone, Laura, but I've been, I've been eating a vegan diet for a month now because I just can't bring myself to eat animals anymore. So I think it would be for him to say whether he's vegan or not now, but um, he's definitely very vegan-ish. <laughs> and uh, so he, he was the original lobbyist. But we also hired Ron to help us with lobbying. And if you watch the Vice News clip where Vice News followed us around for a day, you can, you can Google Vice News, um, YouTube, uh, how to hire your own lobbyist or something like that is the title. So you'll see Ron, he's the other lobbyist, and he's the one we hired to help write the actual legislation we were pitching. It's short. It's on our website. You can go to afa.farm slash legislation and read the actual text with a little bit of description around it. So we hired him, and he's by no means vegan, as far as I know. Uh, so there's the whole range. And, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think it depends on the person. I mean, you, you know a lot of vegan activists, and some are able to put their – their sort of the spirit of their veganism to the right into the right place when they're talking to different people and sound very objective and fact oriented at sometimes and other times they tell their story and and try to help the person they're talking to see the veganism and i found that when we were lobbying on the hill Sometimes you, you just wanted to stick to the facts, stick to the game plan. But other times I found myself kind of doing a little bit of vegan outreach on the staffers because they were super open to it, like asking a bunch of questions and curious and they just didn't know. Um, so I think you don't need, to That's your point, you don't need a lobbyist to be vegan, but you also don't need them to not be vegan. They just need to know how to talk to people and, and what messaging to put forward for the given person they're talking to. Yeah, because many years ago, um, I was involved in, uh, uh, yeah, it was a campaign to elect a uh, congressman, and he was elected by environmentalists here in L.A. They threw parties for him, and uh, then the slaughterhouse uh, horror occurred, the Hallmark Slaughterhouse uh, scandal, where basically uh, there was an undercover investigation that showed down cows being dragged to slaughter that is not only horrifically cruel, they can't stand, and they're being dragged with a tractor trailer to their slaughter, but it also poses a serious human health hazard. 
the USDA inspectors were right there. Frankly, I mean, a lot of critics consider them 100% useless. They look the other way. The USDA is in bed with the food, uh, with the meat and dairy industry. They were right there as something that you couldn't miss um, unless you were absolutely intent on missing. It was happening, horror, not once, but over and over again. So this was, uh, at the time, the largest beef recall in history. It became like a national scandal. And uh, so we decided to visit the uh, member of Congress that had gone to a party and uh, had supported him. He was like a different person inside uh, the Capitol Hill. Uh, he was, seemed to be terrified to talk to us, terrified to say anything that might be a quote about how horrible this was. He watched the footage and uh, basically said, thank you, hmm, and wanted us out of the office. There wasn't, it seemed like the second these people get elected, you've got a situation where they are completely beholden to the industries that determine who's gonna get reelected. They have such a short term in office that as soon as they're elected, they have to start thinking about being reelected. We know that the meat industry has so many lobbyists that are literally you know, so deeply intertwined. Remember a few years ago, there was that shooting, terrible, tragic, uh, while some members of Congress were playing baseball and it turned out they were playing baseball with lobbyists from the meat industry. Um, I mean, that's just a snapshot in time. Oh, where were you when this happened? Well, that's what they do. They're, they're, they, they infiltrate, they make friends, they do all of this stuff. And um, uh, so, so the members of Congress, I found, and this was quite a few years ago, but I just thought there's no hope. They're, they're bought and paid for. Have things changed? <laughs> Unmute your, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, that's the way the system's set up, right? That's, to me, that, okay, so at AFA and BJL, we recognize that this is the system we have. So we're just saying, let's be practical and let's play ball. Raise money, hire lobbyists, because that's how we get our voice heard. In addition to letter writing campaigns, in addition to voting, you still need to vote. You still need to purchase vegan foods and, and you still need to do activism on the street and change the public. But we're saying, let's take the activism the, the outreach to the halls of power and hire people who actually are effective at that outreach, lobbyists. So that's one thing. Like we're recognizing the practicality of it, but in the long term, we need to fix the system. And as far as I know, like the, the organization that I think is doing the best work toward getting to a system that would be fair and actually give the public a voice and remove political influence as much as is possible from being on sale on the, the auction block mm -hmm. is an organization called Represent Us. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. And let's take a quick break. We've got to take a break on Voice America Radio. We're going to talk more about that on the other side. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio 
We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, we're here with Loya Montoya-Reese. Uh, who has two incredible organizations that she works with, along with the superwoman, Connie Spence. We'd love to have her on, too, and we will ask her. Uh, and it's the Vegan Justice League, and the second is, tell us again. Agriculture Fairness Alliance, or AFA. Agriculture Fairness Alliance. So when I've been thinking a lot about how to use this opportunity of COVID-19, which is a tragedy, but in every tragedy there is opportunity to transition to a plant-based culture. Uh, Dr. Silas Rao, who is a Stanford PhD, who is uh, instrumental in the acceleration of the internet speeds and has written a white paper about animal agriculture being the leading cause of climate change. He's, in my opinion, a true genius. And he said, this is an intervention from mother nature. And mother nature is saying, sorry, you're, what you're doing to nature and the planet is just no more. You're going to go to your rooms. You're going to think about what you've been doing and either come out a more evolved species or you're finished. And, uh, you know, he's the one who said we have till 2026 to transition essentially to a plant-based culture or we're going to hit an ecological apocalypse uh, already. And he's based in Arizona. I talked to people who said, you know, they're trying to do live videos and their, and their cameras are exploding because it's too hot outside. It, it disconnects. And that's going to start happening the world over. It's already hit 140 degrees in some parts of uh, India. You know, it, it, it's hitting levels where it's unsustainable for life. And once that we cross that threshold, there's no going back. So um, we have to hit it from all angles. I agree 100% the lobbying, and I think people are more open to it. For example, uh, for years, people in New York have protested against the 80 live slaughter markets that are retail slaughter ma- markets, disgusting, dis- just blood, guts, urine, feces ridden with in low income communities of color where people are walking around. Kids have to walk past this as blood, gut, no- nothing, nothing. Deaf, dumb and blind. I don't know if that maybe that's politically incorrect. I should I've got to look at all my language now because all these phrases that we use sort of reflexively may not be good. And I think it's great. Let's improve our language. Let's stop using speciesist, homophobic, racist, misogynistic language 100 percent. Let's reinvent language. But um, they don't want to hear it. The city leaders, the state leaders now with COVID-19, which was first spotted uh, from people getting sick at a slaughter market in China and with people going, why do we have these things in our backyard in Manhattan, in, uh, in, in New York City, 80 retail slaughter markets. Now there's a new, oh, really? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, that's terrible. When the, uh, we've, we've been trying to tell them for decades, there have been protests outside these places for decades. That's just one example of how COVID-19 is an opportunity that we must take advantage of. It's not just doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing at the perfect time, catching the wave of change so that we can um, take advantage of this situation. Just as the technology companies and the, uh, the delivery companies are exploding during this, we as um, vegan activists need to take advantage of this moment where Tragically, the slaughterhouses are hotbeds of coronavirus. You have workers dying. You have infected workers sweating over the meat. So people are going to the plant-based meat alternatives that are right there in the frozen food section and in the meat section. And they're saying, I'm going to take this because this was this product, Beyond Meat Burger or Impossible Burger, was not made with people touching it, it's untouched by human hands. I can take this and be a lot safer than some slab of meat or ground beef that somebody might have been sweating COVID-19 droplets into. That being said, a lot of farmers now increasingly want out. They want out because 
they are in many cases having to depopulate, basically mass slaughter their own animals. And so they're having to confront what they do. Not to say that many of them didn't do it before. There are, when, when anybody eats hens, they're killing twice. All the male chicks are macerated. That means ground up alive or in other ways killed. And the hens are gassed to death after a couple of years when they're considered spent. And then they bring new chickens in, uh, new chicks in. So you're killing, doubly killing when you're eating an egg. Um, however, we're seeing a lot of farmers who want out. And so here's my question to you. When you want to trade in your car, right, what do you do? When you want to trade your insurance, what do you do? You look at when's the appropriate time for me to get out? When does my payment end? When does my insurance, if you, you look for a cheaper car insurance, the first thing they say is when's your renewal up? Why can't we approach these farmers and say, when you're conscious, we want to, we want to get you out of this hell hole where you're walking through these feces infested. I mean, even to go there and videotape for 10 minutes is a horror. Imagine having to work in these giant warehouses where there's 100,000 animals and you have to wear a mask because the feces and the urine smell is so intense that you would keel over. Who would want to do that? So they want out, a lot of them, but they don't know how to get out. Why don't we approach them as their contracts elapse? This is the thing that I don't understand. It's like there's a moment where they have to renew and then as part of renewing that contract they have to agree to gas their chicks to do all these terrible things why can't we grab them when that contract comes up for renewal and say don't renew we have an option for you uh can you address that unmute please i, I did don't mute yourself I think, there, I think there's a lag when i unmute don't unmute Can yourself. You hear me now? Mute yourself unmuted the whole time. Thank you so much. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, the so I really like that idea, and when I, I heard you um, explaining that idea, I, I was thinking of like contract chicken farmers, contract pig farmers who are under the thumb of like Tyson Smithfield, which is a Chinese group. Um, and, and JBS, which is Brazilian and, and others. Yeah. When the contract is coming due and it's time for a big decision, that's the, that's a good time to, to approach them. And, um, that's what I know the, the Barrett's with, with, uh, Renee King Sonnen, they, they transitioned at a time. I think it was around when the contract was due. So that makes sense. They had a, a revelation though about plant-based eating too. Um, and there have been, what's his name? Craig Watts, um, who transitioned with, and, um, uh, what's her name? It, it you know, transformation. Mercy for animals. She, yeah. she interviewed him and that was a, that was a, a time when he was like, Hey, these, these, con these people we're contracting for are, 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 uh, lying and he wanted to go against them. But yeah, when it, when a big decision is due, that's that's kind of that that's a time to insert yourself. That makes total sense. We've been approaching farmers who are a little smaller, uh, like independent family farmers. Yeah. So they're they're they may be under some contracts, for example, selling their milk, but it's more about like they're producing their milk regularly and they just sell it, and and um, it's it seems to be a different sort of arrangement. Um. But, but we're addressing the small farmers because we see them as being exploited by the industry as a whole. They're held up as, oh, when, when say, the Farm Bureau or when the, the animal ag lobbyists go and ask for more money, for example, wanting to double the amount of bailouts, the, like raising the, the limit on the bailouts. The, the, um, there's a program called the Market Facilitation Program, and they're allowed to, the executive administration is allowed to tap up to $30 billion roughly a year. They just asked for it to be raised to $60 billion a year. They're not even supposed to touch that. Anyway, my point is, <laughs> um, the, the people who lobby for that, they hold up the small independent farmer as the person who's getting that money. 
but they're not getting the money. Tyson Smithfield, all the big guys are getting that money. And so we're going to the small farmer and we just talked to one yesterday, this guy, Paul in Wisconsin, who has a dairy farm. And he, he agreed. He's like, I don't like being used as the poster child for these big ag guys getting all these bailouts. And I don't see any of it. And he wants to get out of dairying and start uh, growing hazelnuts. And so we're, we're mm-hmm. trying to pass at risk farmers so he can capitalize on that. That's and um, so we're going more after the smaller guys. So it would be the contract people. We've been working a lot with dairy farmers because they're, they're really under pressure financially. Um, AFA you know, has they're been also getting bailed out all the time. And they, you know, the government is, you know, I believe one of the gov- reasons the government is so intent on getting kids back to school, even though obviously it poses tremendous risks uh, to teachers and to the children themselves, uh, this idea that children can't get COVID-19 is false. Uh, and um, I think it's because they want to start being able to force them to drink cow's milk again. Because since school's been out, these kids are not drinking cow's milk, which is better for them. They're not cows. They're not calves. And they're drinking other milk. Um, the consumers are, are moving away from cow's milk. They're moving to almond milk, soy milk, rice milk, hemp milk, cashew milk. Uh, milk, uh, macadamia nut milk, and all the other many, many, many oat milk is my favorite. Many, many other milks that last longer in the refrigerator. Some of them don't have to be refrigerated while we're, you know, in isolation. So the consumer's moving away from it. And yet the government is just absolutely hell bent on getting these kids back in school so they can put that little container in front of them. In some districts, you need a doctor's note from your doctor. A parent has to give a doctor's note in order to get their child a non-cow's milk milk. We're going to go to a quick call, uh, and then we're going to get our conversation back going. We're talking to Laura Montoya-Reese, just an incredible advocate for um, transitioning our culture to plant-based. So, uh, Paige, what is your question or thought? Yes. Being an activist, I'm wondering, as a person who's boots on the streets, you know, I went to a, um, the fur ban in Los Angeles, and it, we really made an impact by showing up. What can we do, basic ABCs? Uh, you know, a lot of activists don't have a lot of expendable income, especially now with COVID um, and the quarantine and so forth. But what can we do, you know, the basic one, two, threes? Okay, so I can answer with specifically with AFA. So the number one thing we're trying to do is raise membership. So uh, like the typical AFA member is giving $10 a month and 100% of that goes to our lobbying budget in DC. Uh, So that's number one. And we just recently created a program with the sister organization, Vegan Justice League called VJL Rewards where if you sign up as an AFA member, you get a free Vegan Justice League membership, and we're signing up vegan businesses, mostly restaurants across the nation, who are giving discounts to VJL members. So that might be 15% off a meal. So we really want to encourage people that even if money's tight, well, if you go to one of your favorite vegan restaurants regularly anyway, maybe give AFA $10 a month, and then get your 10% off or your 15% off at your favorite vegan restaurant. And we, on the website, we give you a kit for going to your favorite local mom and pop shop and signing them up for the program. It's really low lift and easy, and they just have to give the, the discount to members. So that's something we released just last week. Um, and, and I love I, that I, idea. I love it because you're not asking for something that's impossible for anybody to do. What is it, $120 a year that you're essentially getting, $10 a month? People pay more. I just found out I had a subscription to a channel that I didn't even know I had that I was paying $10 a month and I canceled it, but uh, I never used it. Uh, We all have those little subscriptions if we just do uh, your organization, Agriculture Fairness Alliance, uh, that's going to be a way to... Uh, help you get in there. I, I think what you're doing is absolutely brilliant. 
I feel like we need a we need a get together where we brainstorm about how to operate as a group. I know that the meat and dairy industry, while they may be competitors, I liken it to the five families of organized crime where they the the main guys, the leaders had uh, a meeting and there was a name for it and they would make agreements of what they were going to do. And uh, we are very scattershot and there's a lot of groups doing this and that and many of them, you know, have differences, but we, we do need to brainstorm about a unified way to move forward uh, and uh, hit the lobbying. And so, uh, for example, your bill, your piece of legislation, um, outline it in simple terms. What would, what's your legislation called? What would it do? Okay, um, it's at-risk farmer, and it would allocate five, it's a pilot program to start with. It would allocate $5 million a year to give to nonprofits, farmers directly, um, or farmers directly, to first assess the assets on the farmer's land, assess the markets that would be viable for transitioning to, and then assess the costs associated with that. And then this program would pay those costs. Now, what if they wanted to transition from one form of animal agriculture to another? That's a no-go. That's a no-go in this legislation. You have to go from animal to plant um, or some other non-exploitative sustainable business like solar farming, wind farming, something like that. And it's tricky to write the language that way. Yeah. And so have you gotten any sponsors on that? We have a lot of support. We're looking for someone to introduce it. That's what we're lobbying for right now. So, for example, Cory Booker's office loves the program and they will support it, but they have FSRA, which they are introducing. Which which would get rid of factory farming by 2040? Right. These two pieces of legislation really fit together well because we're targeting the smaller farmer and he's targeting the big CAFOs. Why can't you just put it in as a little item on the bigger bill? Well, that's what we're kind of trying to convince them to do. Okay, I'll let you you stay with that. There's there's also a component where if we can get this passed on its own, because FSRA is a heavy lift. Yeah, it's going to like the entire makeup of the the House and the Senate is going to have to flip in November for FSRA to pass. Whereas I think we can get at risk farmer through because it has appeal to um, it has more more bipartisan appeal, which is the way we wrote it. So it it might not we might not want to attach it to FSRA. It's not necessarily. But they're complementary. Yeah. Now. What I see as needed, and you know, I often find these live videos are an opportunity to brainstorm because yeah. you really do have to focus, and um, it kind of gets rid of a lot of the ancillary thing. We get down to brass tacks, and you know, I feel that on the internet there's scattershot information about how to transition options. If I want to buy a new car, I go in and I see all these different models with all these different mileages and different warranties and different interiors. And I get to shop around, nothing like that exists on the internet for farmers who want out. It is completely scattershot. They have to reinvent the wheel. Now I have uh, said this to many different organizations. We need a resource center where farmers and engaging attractive resource center, just like CarMax and all these places, they try to make it look interesting and fun, where farmers could go, uh, where they can shop around and see, well, if I want to get out of this, what else can I do? Can I do hemp farming? Can I do um, solar solar panels? Can I do veganic dirt? Can I do macadamia nuts? Can I do, there's a million options. Nobody is laying it out in a fashion that is enticing that would encourage them to go. And I've been 
talking about this till I'm blue in the face. I actually grabbed a couple of URLs because about six months ago, we were on a uh, live video and it came up. This issue came up in a panel. And I, while we were live, I bought animalfreefarming.org because actually it was Amy Jean Davis who said, we don't want to tell farmers that they have to not be farmers anymore. They want to be farmers. That's their identity. Just tell them that they can be farmers that are free from animals, but they can still be farmers. We're not telling you, you can't wear your cowboy boots or your cowboy hat or your bandana or, you know, all the, all the things that go with identity. Okay. So, uh, I've been trying to get this going. And what, what it requires is a, a, a list of options. And of course, everybody says to me, well, well, there's no one answer. I said, right, just like there's no one car. There's, of course, there's no one answer. Um, and it, 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 there's many, many factors that go into it. There's geography. There, right? Because somebody who could grow hemp in one climate may not be able to grow it. There's the acreage. There's the finance issues, the contracts these people are in, their debt load, blah, blah, blah. There's a million factors. But what you do is you create a grid, just like when I'm going to get a car, it's going to say, how much do you owe on your old car? What's the mileage on your old car? Has there ever been a car accident? There's no two cars that are identical. That doesn't mean we stop selling cars and say, well, it's too complicated. No, we need a resource center where farmers can go that encourages them. And the other thing that does not exist right now, which I was advocating for and continue to advocate for and want to um, collaborate with somebody else and other organizations is that there are a limited number of stories of a handful of farmers who have transitioned or are transitioning, and they primarily talk about their emotional journey. Great. I think it's fantastic. But what these farmers need is a how-to. Now, for example, Mercy for Animals, and I've discussed this with them too, and they've, they've agreed that these are all things that should happen, and uh, I think they're doing a lot. I mean, I applaud the work of Leah Garces and what she's doing with uh, Transforming Farmers. Uh, this isn't to say that anybody's doing anything wrong, by the way, you know, uh, and or, or that what other people are doing doesn't have to happen. As I've mentioned to everybody involved in this, how many hundreds of thousands or millions of farms are there in America? There's enough farmers for everybody to work their activism. Um, let's not be territorial about this. Uh, and I need another project like I need a hole in the head. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I relate to, I relate to that statement. 100%. But on. another thing that I feel is needed is stories of what they did to transition with research attached to it. For example, on the MFA homepage, there's a uh, gentleman who transitioned from, I believe, chicken farming to a uh, hemp. Uh, and he said in the video that he had to go through three sets of lights till he found the correct light that would work. Why does every single farmer that transitions from chicken to hemp have to go through that process on their own? Whatever anybody's experience, we need to provide that in this resource center and say, Here's, here's, the, here's the light that works for this particular type of hemp. Here's the mushroom you should be growing because of this market and because of this uh, condition if you live in this kind of place with this kind of soil. It can be done. What it requires is, A, a will to do it and a willingness to collaborate and not worry about, is it my program or is it your program? Because like I say, who cares? Uh, I know I personally do not get a commission every time a farmer transitions. All I want to do is save the planet from ecological apocalypse. And we also need to have research people. And one of the things that I was proposing is to do interviews, live interviews with farmers 
who have either transitioned or who want to transition to break it down. And then those things can either be, well, they can be the entire live video. And if there's gems that come along the way, those can be edited as here's the light issue. Here's the soil issue. Now we tried it with one, and I know we're running out of time, but I think this is super important. We tried it with one interview and we just decided we were going to get our feet wet. And so I interviewed Renee King Sonnen and her husband, Tommy Sonnen. He's a former cattle rancher who is now a uh, vegan and a animal sanctuary owner, farm animal yeah. sanctuary owner. She's on our board of directors. So we talk yeah. to them regularly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we talked about his organic garden mm-hmm. and what he might do with that. And can people sell all about thinking about markets for animal farmers who want to make money doing something else. Guess what came up in the course of the conversation, the subject of veganic dirt came up and it was mentioned that in the big city, I don't know if it was Houston, I think, or Austin, there's a company that's making veganic dirt that is selling out. You can't even get it because it's so popular. People want veganic dirt. So I asked, I said, well, could that be a market? I mean, apparently you need wood chips. Uh, If veganic dirt, which I would like, I've got some plants I want to pot, and I don't want to buy dirt that's filled with chicken feces and feathers and dead animal parts. I would like to, if veganic dirt. I'd be willing to order it. Yeah. So all of a sudden, in this one conversation about what he did, we already came up with a new market. It was like proof of concept. The devil is in the details when it comes to these transitions. And what we're doing right now is essentially akin to saying, until we take one rabid meat eater and turn that person into a vegan, we're not going to talk to any other vegans, even though there's billions of any other uh, people eating meat. No. What do we do with veganism? We try to transition everyone. We offer resources. We have places where people who want vegan options can go and get recipes. They can get uh, products. They can get uh, uh, 21-day programs. But we're not doing that with farmers. We're telling them, we want you to transition, but we're not going to tell you how because it's too complicated. BS. This is the most important thing we can do. And I would like to see people gather together. And we need researchers. We need people who can pull up. I would bet that all the information we're seeking already exists somewhere on the internet. Because if you dug deep enough into these issues, you would come up with answers in position papers, articles, and all sorts of studies. This is what we need to do. And uh, we're almost done, but I want to ask you, what do you think of that? I mean, so many thoughts (laughs) as you were talking about this idea. A, I love that idea. Uh, I would love for AFA and VJL to participate in in such a collaboration. AFA is, so At-Risk Farmer is just our opening gambit into lobbying. We have a whole legislative agenda. Our long-term goal is to end all subsidies to animal ag. That's our long-term agenda. This was what we could, this was what we thought was achievable and needed right now. So we're very interested in helping farmers transition, and I would love to participate in a coalition that puts together this animalfreefarming.org, like you're saying. And I'm thinking of all the people to bring in from the Upper Midwest Hazelnut Foundation, which is just kind of like working on their own and they have no marketing, um, but they have all the information we need for anybody who wants to transition to hazelnuts, And uh, for example. And then to like Renee, I remember she was talking to me about veganic dirt and she was bringing up all these issues and I'm like, I can't, I can't even fall. It's too much for me to even think about one person, but if done in a one resource, yeah, would be fantastic. You want to be able to, so like, for example, on the AFA team, we have volunteers and whenever there's anything that's like institutional knowledge that I want to make sure all the volunteers knows, no, we put it on our internal wiki. And I feel like this is kind of, it could be something maybe like that where, it's a platform where people with the knowledge, it's easy for them to get that knowledge in there and then it's available for the farmers. And I think about the farmers who we, we recruit, um, bless the volunteers' hearts who cold call farms and ask them if they would be interested in lobbying with us because that's what we're doing. We are 
recruiting farmers to lobby with us mm-hmm. and talk to their reps sure. because that's who the reps want to listen to. Yeah. And when, what I find it, so we send them a Google poll, you know, like a, just a Google document, like the, the yeah. poll, um, like a, and I am blown away at the honest answers and the information they tell us. So I'm envisioning with like this animalfreefarming.org kind of website you could set it up exactly like you were saying, like it's a like a, a one-stop new car shop. Up. Here are the basic questions, and then you get more information, and you hook them up with the information they need. Yeah, I mean, I would love to participate in in that, and I don't know if I should. We have this um, project going right now that's more about legislation but it's bringing together a lot of groups that could participate in that. Um, Great. Like, like Plant Pure Nation could even help with it. And mm-hmm. I've been talking to Nelson Campbell lately um, on, on this other project, but I could see where his group might want to get involved. They have sort of a platform they're working on that, um, I don't know, maybe it could be leveraged to some degree. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of working with lots of people. Yes. You need to own it. We want to bring to the table what's worthwhile that we can do because we have our own mission, which is ending animal egg subsidies. Our plate's full. But I would love to work on this because it's so needed and it's in line with what we're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Well, wonderful. Uh, let's talk, we'll talk about it more offline, but I think this is great. And this is the kind of collaboration that I think you know, we can um, – we can use to use the techniques and the tools that the other side is using. Uh, they are collaborating and they, they have the government on their side. So we can collaborate together to um, create these, uh, this, the total is better than the parts, you know, kind of ideas. We're out of time. I want to say, Laura, it's been so, so, so informative and entertaining and interesting talking to you. We are diving deep into the weeds of these issues that need to be solved. And the last thing I'd like to say is the clock is ticking. I can no longer wait for somebody to say, anybody, that, okay, you know, we'll do this, but it has to be done. We have to put our egos aside and we need to get cracking on this because there's a window of opportunity with COVID-19 mm-hmm. and it will close and, you know, and momentum, you know, you, when you have momentum, if you don't continue it, then there's the counter momentum. We've got to take advantage of this now. All of this can be done sooner rather than later. And I think it's really important. So um, thank you for participating. Thank you for all you do. And uh, I'd like to have your, your uh, associate Connie Spence on very soon and, uh, you know, we'll come up with these answers and then we got to get it done. So thank you so much. And we will, we'll be in touch. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. 